the section with which we begin our study tonight as we continue to look at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ, and that sermon being the Sermon on the Mount. We begin that segment with a word, therefore, about which we have spoken many times in relation to the fact that it calls us back to see what has come before the therefore, because it is a somewhat transitional and concluding uh, word that ties something together that has gone before that we need to understand and appreciate and be reminded of as we go forward. So when Jesus says in verse 25, with which we begin our study tonight, therefore I say to you, obviously that which he has just said is relevant to what he is now going to say and the point that he is going to make. And it is a very important point indeed because it deals with the matter of anxiety and not being anxious about anything. I guess we could include air conditioning in that tonight, couldn't we, by the number of fans that are moving throughout the auditorium. We can be concerned about air conditioning, but we shouldn't be anxious about it, can we? There are a lot of things about which we can be concerned, but we must not allow that concern to cross that line into that which Jesus uh, prohibits. No one can serve two masters is the verse before verse 25 that begins with the word therefore. And so we need to remind ourselves of what we studied last time. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we talked about this at some length last time. You cannot serve God and material things. There are only two possible choices you have when it comes to masters whom you will serve. It will either be God or Satan. It will either be the spiritual or the secular, the, uh, the spiritual uh, or the fleshly. And that which we must be concerned about is indeed the spiritual and making sure that our service is rendered to God the Father. We said last time, of course, in rendering service to the one master, God, and the Godhead, meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we do that, there are some subservient masters to whom we must give allegiance if we're going to be true to our master in heaven. Our fathers on earth are those who uh, deserve and should demand the uh, respect uh, and reverence of their children. The father is the head of the house. This is the day upon which our nation celebrates Father's Day, and as, as has been pointed out, we need to certainly strive to be the kind of fathers, if we are fathers, that can certainly command the respect uh, that indeed God intended for the father in the home to have. But as, as that respect is rendered by the members of the family to the father, as they do that, they do that in relation to their father in heaven. And because they serve the father in heaven, then the family is respectful of what the Father in Heaven says about the family relationship. But the point is, our emphasis must be upon the spiritual, and that will be brought home very clearly in these verses that we will be looking at tonight from verses 25 through 34, the remainder of chapter 6 of this great sermon. And so, therefore, verse 25, he is saying, because you can only serve one master... 
And if you serve to choose the proper master, then that's going to take care of something that is vitally, vitally important that you take care of in your life. What is it? Worry. Worry. A difficult thing to rid ourselves of. And yet, Jesus says we should not worry about the things of this life if indeed we have our lives in proper order. And if indeed our service is totally committed to the proper master, then our anxieties are eliminated. Doesn't mean that we don't have legitimate concerns. Doesn't mean that we're relieved of all responsibilities. Obviously, that is not the case. But there's a vast difference, as we've said already, between being concerned about something and being truly anxious or worried about something. The King James here says, take no thought. The American Standard says, be not anxious. The New King James here says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. And all of that is the idea of worry or anxiety. Therefore, if indeed you know you cannot serve two masters and you must give total allegiance to one or the other, and if you've made the proper choice to give allegiance to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then your worries are over. That's true. Your worries are over. Your concerns, no, but your worries are over. You have concerns, yes. But he says, do not worry about what? About the things in this life in terms of three things specifically. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and what you are going to drink. Don't be concerned about the necessities of life. God will take care of those things if you take care of putting first things first. And so, do not worry about your life, specifically what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he asks a very important question. Is not life more than food? Is not life more than food? And is not the body about more than clothing? Life is more important. There are more important things to be concerned about than these things. And if you'll be concerned about the proper things, you will be relieved of the anxiety about those lesser things. And he's going to give us three illustrations to follow up on what he has to say in this great sermon at this portion of it. And he calls upon us initially in verse 26 as his first illustration of what he has just said to look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Look, as the New King James translates that, the idea is to behold. The idea is not to glance casually at a, at a passing bird. The idea is to consciously study and think about, give very, very strong and important consideration to something. What is it? The birds of the air. And the fact that you do not see them sowing, you do not see them reaping, you do not see them gathering into barns. Now, why did he, why did he use birds here? Uh, could he have used squirrels? No, not really, because squirrels do what? They hide nuts. Squirrels hide nuts and put them up for a rainy day. But have you ever seen a bird do that? No. Never seen a bird doing that. And yet, they're provided for. 
By the same token, you don't see a bird just sitting around looking heavenward, waiting for seed and anticipating seed to drop from heaven either. You see birds going everywhere and you'll see them in various places getting food for themselves. But who's providing that? God. And how is he providing that on a daily basis, day in and day out? I mentioned before that I like to feed the birds. But if I don't feed the birds for a day or two, do I see a bunch of dead birds on my back deck because I forgot to fill the feeder? No. No, they'll get their food. They'll get their food. I can help them out, and it's really for my enjoyment, selfishly, more than anything else, isn't it? Because I know God's taking care of them, but I want to see them. I want to see that beautiful goldfinch. I want to see the cardinals. I want to see the chickadees. I want to see the bluebirds. Effie doesn't want to see them because they mess up her side mirror on the cars at the house. <laughs> She's not happy with those particular bluebirds, but I like, to, I like to see them. And so that's why primarily that I feed them. But God takes care of them, doesn't he? And he takes care of them on a daily basis. And Jesus calls upon us to consider that, not to just let it, let it pass by us, but to consider that quite carefully, to take a good, hard look at it and to learn something from it. And then he asked this important question in relation to that illustration. He asked, are you not of more value than they? You know, a little side trip here on this, but there was a time when no one would have questioned that question at all. In other words, it's a rhetorical question. You are more valuable than, than the birds. There was a time when no one that I can think of would have ever questioned that, but we don't live in that time anymore. We live in a time where there are many, tragically, who would place as much value on the life of a bird as they would on your life. They place as much value on the life of their dog as they will on your life because mankind, to a great extent, has been, quote, educated or uneducated, as the case may be, to believe that we're just graduate apes ourselves and that we're all in this thing together and that every living thing is equal on God's earth when nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus made that statement right here, didn't he? Jesus takes care of those... Uh, animal lovers who have gone to the extreme to say that we're all on equal ground. Jesus says that bird, as beautiful as it is, however beautiful it may be, as valuable as it is in the sense that he takes care of it, you are of more value than that bird. And we could go on to logically extrapolate and say you are more valuable than any other animal, period, lower animal. I don't care if it is an ape. I don't care if it is whatever it is. You are more valuable because there's no animal that has a spirit, that has a soul that will live for eternity. You do. Now, if God takes care of those things that have no eternal existence and who are like Rover when they die, dead all over, and you're not, is he not going to take care of you? That's his point. Therefore, why should we be anxious about that? Why should we have anxiety about it? His second illustration is seen in verse 27 when he asked, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And that word stature has as its primary meaning age. 
we think of stature as height, and that is a secondary meaning. But I think in the primary sense, what Jesus is asking here is, can you add one moment of life to your life by worrying about it? Now, it is true that you can't add a foot and a half, and that would be a cubit, about a foot and a half, as uh, the cubit was generally measured in biblical times. You can't add a foot and a half to your height either by being concerned about it. That's true, too. But it seems to me that the primary use of the word here is what Jesus has in mind, and he's saying, can you lengthen your life? Can you lengthen your life by any amount of time by worrying about it? Well, not only is the answer no, but I'll tell you what you can do to your life by worrying about it. You'll shorten it. And science shows that to be true, doesn't it? Do you not believe that there is truly documented scientific, medical, whatever you want to call it, evidence that says what? Stress will kill you. Stress will shorten your life. Now, it's, it's difficult to avoid all stress, isn't it? But the best remedy for stress and the best way to control that stress is through doing exactly what Jesus is telling us to do right here. The master teacher has the solution for our lives. And so by worrying about your life, you cannot add one moment to it. And if stature, physical stature, were also being considered, you can't add an inch you can't add an inch to your stature by worrying about it. I tell people I'm shrinking in my old age, and I am. I went to a, one of these places where you can get all these tests done one time, Janice and I did, and I had a nurse uh, check my height as a part of all of that, and she said, six feet, seven inches. And I said, whoa, I've grown. And another nurse was sitting there, and she said, no, you didn't do that right. Let, get up here again. Let, let me do it. And she did it. She said, six, four and a half. I said, oh, I'm shrinking. <laughs> I used to be six, six. <laughs> so you can't add anything. In fact, chances are you're going to settle in as you get older. But the point is we don't worry about those things. We're not overly concerned about those things if our priorities are in order. And what about clothing? Verse 28. Here's his other illustration, the third illustration. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, keep in mind, Jesus did not say, consider the lilies in a man's garden who spends hour after hour cultivating those flowers. He didn't say that. He said, he said, I want you to look out here on these fields, upon which he could likely look as he spoke. I want you to look upon these fields. Consider, consider these uncultivated flowers, various kinds of flowers that are grouped together here under a more generic term, we think, under the term lilies. See their brilliant color. Man didn't cultivate that. Those are wildflowers. That comes from God. That comes from God. And I want you to consider them. And again, the word consider here is not 
occasionally glance at those fields and say, aren't those pretty, and move on. No, I want you to learn thoroughly. That is literally the meaning of this word consider. It means to learn thoroughly. What can we learn thoroughly from looking at the flowers of the field? Jesus tells us what we can learn. That God produced those. God created those. That's God's beautiful creation. So beautiful, and yet they don't toil or spin in order for that beauty to be there. God created them, and so beautiful that even Solomon, even Solomon with the great extent of his empire, some 60,000 square miles at its greatest extent, and with all the glory that accompanied his reign, and all the beautiful clothing that obviously he possessed and wore, in all that glory, he was not arrayed, literally dressed, like one of these. And here's the point, verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now we're back to another therefore. The first, therefore, said, if you're serving the right master, then your anxieties and worries about these things as to what you'll eat, drink, or wear, those anxieties should disappear. And then he tells us why, and then we're back to the other, therefore, in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? In other words, don't be so consumed with those things because those things will be taken care of, again, if the priorities are where they need to be. And then he draws a contrast between two groups of people, those who are seeking after the kingdom and those who have no interest whatsoever in the kingdom and are not part of the kingdom. He says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. That is, those who are out here in the world, those who are not Christians, those who are not following Christ, that is what they are consumed with. They are consumed with eating, drinking, and clothing. They're, in other words, they're consumed with the material things of this life. Remember, go back to verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Those out here in the world are doing just that. They have made their choice. Their master is mammon. Their master is material things. And therefore, they are going with all the gusto they can after those material things. Things, But many times, those in the kingdom are distracted by those very same things and ultimately destroyed by them. I like what I read the late Franklin Camp saying on this section of Scripture about how we can, how we can avoid that. He talked about the Apostle Paul and what Paul had to write, especially in the Philippian letter. And he talked about the key being concentration. What are you seeking? What are you concentrating on? And if you're concentrating as you should be concentrating, then contentment will follow that concentration. We could go back and add the word commitment. Initial commitment followed by concentration leads to contentment. And Brother Camp, in what I was reading from him, mentioned Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. 
a passage we've looked at before where, where Paul said, this one thing I do. And he wasn't saying, I go around doing one thing all the time. He did many things, but all the many things he did were all, all tied to the one thing, the one overriding and overwhelming principle that guided every breath that he took, and that was the kingdom. That was the church. That's why he and Silas could be in that Philippian jail and be singing hymns at midnight after being beaten and put into chains. Circumstances were not good, but contentment was there because the concentration was still there because the commitment had been made, and he was determined to follow through on that commitment. This one thing I do. And so later in the Philippian letter at chapter 4 and verse 11, he said, I've learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Commitment that leads to concentration on the one thing, that is the kingdom of God, will allow us to be content and will allow us to deal with everything that life throws at us. And certainly it will keep us from being anxious about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. And everything that we do is going to be done in relation to our relationship to the kingdom. And so as we eat, we eat to the kingdom. As we drink, we drink to the kingdom. As we dress, we dress to the kingdom. We eat as those who are in the kingdom putting the kingdom first. We drink as those who are in the kingdom and putting the kingdom first. We dress as those who are in the kingdom and putting the kingdom of God first in their lives. I love something else I read from Brother Camp's pen, well, actually from his voice that was transcribed from his classes that he taught so beautifully and eloquently for so long in so many places before his death. He said, let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever heard anybody say, he eats and drinks football? He eats and drinks football. You've probably heard that. You may have heard the word sleeps added to it. He eats, drinks, and sleeps football. <laughs> or he eats and drinks and sleeps golf. Or he eats and drinks and sleeps whatever. Fill in the blank in terms of some material endeavor. But what Jesus is saying to us is distinctive Christianity demands that we eat and drink and dress for the kingdom of God. That's what we seek. And that affects every other aspect of our lives. Seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. We've got to make sure, young or old, that our priorities are always where they need to be. And if our concentration is good, our contentment will follow. And we can be content and not anxious, not worrisome over these things. So the therefore is here again, the last of the therefores in this section. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now you try... You try to be concerned about yesterday's troubles, 
deal with today's, and then at the same time go ahead and anticipate tomorrow's troubles. And you have more than you can handle. You have more than you can handle. You hang on to yesterday's, you are concerned or worried about today's, and you anticipate tomorrow. Someone said the greatest misfortunes are the ones that never occur. But trying to deal with all three days at one time, Jesus says, that's too much. Don't do that. Take it a day at a time. Live a day at a time. When he says this, is he saying don't have any forethought or any planning for your future? No, no. There are other passages in the New Testament that make it clear that we're to be good stewards and that we are to provide for our families and to provide for our future. That, there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, there's everything right about that. But it all must be kept in perspective and prioritized so that when it comes to what we eat and drink, it's not football or anything else of a worldly nature. We eat and drink the kingdom of God. Our lives are centered around that, and everything else will fall into place. What about you? Can you say that you eat and drink the kingdom, or is it something else? If you're not in the kingdom, certainly you're eating and drinking and being concerned about something else because you haven't given your life to Christ. We plead with you to do that tonight by a belief that leads you to repent of your sins, to confess him before men, and then to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And if you need to come home to your first love because you have become more like the Gentiles about whom Jesus spoke and you're seeking those things rather than the things above, and that's known in a way that has brought reproach upon the church, then make it right in that same public way. If you need to respond, come now as we stand to sing to encourage you.